Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast with your host, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. In this episode, we explore the journey from the NHL to being an excellent strength coach with our special guest, Jeff Levecchio. Jeff shares his remarkable transition from the high-intensity world of professional hockey to his current role as a sought-after strength coach. Join us as we delve into Jeff's experiences on the ice, learning how the skills and discipline acquired during his hockey career now contribute to his success in the realm of strength and conditioning. You'll gain valuable insights into the unique challenges athletes face post-retirement and the pivotal role that a skilled strength coach can play in their continued success. Whether you're a sports enthusiast or an aspiring strength coach, this episode promises to be both informative and inspiring. Let's jump right in. So excited to have Jeff Lavecchio here joining us on the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. Vex, thank you so much for making time um, and thanks for being a pro. We're excited to have you here. Absolutely. I'm excited to be on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Um, Absolutely. So, dude, a ton of professional athletes think in their head, when I'm done with this, I'm going to become a strength coach. When I'm done playing, I'm going to become a strength coach, right? Now, that was, you did that. At some point, you had that conversation in your head. When I'm done with this, maybe I'll be a strength coach. Why did it work for you? Well, the conversation in my head wasn't, maybe I'll be a strength coach. Conversation was in my head was, I've only ever loved two things, hockey and training. And so um, luckily through my, my work ethic and determination and consistency and all those things, I, I was able to be a professional hockey player for 10 years and I loved what I did. And I was like, I can't imagine not loving what I do. So the only other thing I love doing is training. So I was like, I will find a way to, to make that a career. But the reason it worked for me, is is bittersweet it's because my career didn't pan out the way that it was supposed to i guess you could say or i was going to so i i left after uh, i I went to western michigan university and um i left after my junior year and signed in the nhl with the boston bruins that summer i the first time i was skating i had i had a terrible fall where i went into the boards full speed completely unconscious lost memory all this stuff. I missed a year, year and a half of hockey. I didn't play hockey for a year and a half. I missed my whole first season of my pro contract. Wow. Thought I was never going to play again. Um, unfortunately, like that set me up to have more and more concussions as my career went on. I was lucky enough to play nine more years professionally after that, but I was never the same. I didn't make the same amount of money that I, you know, obviously somebody who's not healthy or, you know, would play in higher leagues and stuff. Right. Um, so after my third year playing pro, I was playing in Utah and I got hit from behind six fractures in my jaws, just a stupid hit and, uh, got a concussion. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go over, finish my career in Europe, play however long I can over there. It's a little bit less physical, a little bit more of a skill game. But at the same time, that concussion was probably like 10 or 11 for me at that time. And I was, which is, I know a lot, I I shouldn't have been playing, but it was on me and I, you know, did what I did and I chose to, right. Um, Totally fine with that. Um, so I started training, I got certified, I went to school for exercise science at Western Michigan. Right. And then, um, so I started training athletes in St. Louis during the off season before my first year in Europe, I was like, I just want to help kids get better. Um, so I got certified, I I started training guys and I would come home for four months a year, maybe five months a year, uh, during my own off season, I would train in the morning 
pros were paying to train next to me. Like I wasn't even training them. It was just like they did what I did and they paid to train with me. And every year I'd get more and more kids to train with me. And the quality of player got higher and higher and higher mm -hmm. until my 10th year playing. I was, I trained 300 kids that summer and guys, college, juniors, pros, kids. I went to camps and trained camps and did all these things. So that after my 10th year, I decided to retire probably a few years early because my business was doing so well and because I had already had those concussions. So it worked for me because I didn't have the career that maybe I, I would have if I didn't have that injury, right? So um, I wanted to, I had more time. I wanted to help. I wanted to give back. And uh, I kind of had to, you know, I, like it wasn't like, oh, my career's over. I'm sitting on 8 million in the bank, 10 million in the bank. What am I going to do? Maybe I'll dip my toe. No, it was like, I got to be good at this. You know, I don't know when my career is going to end, when the next concussion is going to end my career. So like, I got to set myself up. I want to learn about this. And I just like giving back. Yeah. Well, the one thing that you just said that stuck out to me was you knew what you loved, right? And you knew, you knew you, you figured out Vex and, and you realized, Hey, I love hockey. I love training. I got to figure out one way, one path to go in that. I think that lands with me because coming out of grad school, I thought this is what all PT was. I thought PT was just working with athletes. Um, and I knew that's what I loved. And I went through graduate school and I dude, the crap that you learn in grad school that is not sports rehab is immense it's immense right. and i'm like dude i'm not i can't do that crap either i gotta go to law school like if i'm not gonna work with athletes i like get me the hell out of here um but i think it's similar to you is that i just figured out what i love and i think that's really good advice so i think that's what's unique about your story is you love what you do and you realize you weren't good enough at it yet um, but you were willing to work really hard. And it sounds like for as long as I've known you, Vex, um, it sounds like that's kind of your MO. You're not willing to do things half-assed. You're going to go all in. So how did you get yourself better at being a strength coach? Uh, practice relentlessly going after earning opportunities, not even going after earning opportunities. Um, I've, you know, now people pay me to speak at, at events or whatever, or come speak to a team or do a Zoom call with a team or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I still now will go and do stuff for free. But like back then, I did it for free every time. I was asking coaches, hey, let me come in and speak to your team. Let me tell them why training is important, how it's changed my life. Because also like... I, you know, you said, I do, I do what I love. I said, I do what I love. Like people feel my passion for training because like literally it changed my life. I was the skinniest, weakest mentally and physically kid. You know, it's not like my family was rich or anything, but I didn't want for anything. I had a great upbringing. My parents were amazing. They were hardworking people and provided for us. Um, which probably made me a little bit soft, you know? And then I started hitting more and more adversity in my hockey career and in my life. And I just had to battle. And I, you know, I made the decision to battle and, and push myself and, and earn every opportunity I got. And a lot of those lessons and things I learned that I could like find a way to like make it was literally in the gym. Like I learned so much from the gym and I'm so passionate about it. So it, it was just a lot of, a lot of that. And uh, because of that, when I was playing throughout my whole career from, from 16, 17 years old on, uh, I was best friends with every strength coach I had. I asked them every question. Why, 
but not in like a, why are we doing this? I was like, why are we doing this? Like, I want to know at 16, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that at this time of the year? Fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of coaches couldn't answer those questions. That was part of my evolution of, you know, what I call like training smarter and, and, and things like that. And I was just always inquisitive, always wanted to learn about why am I doing things and how can I do them better? And then I just brought that that's how I was able to make it in hockey, quote unquote. And I just brought that into my training career. And the way I did it was I listened to my clients feedback. I asked them questions, especially in the beginning. How was today? You know, how are you feeling? And I started training my mom and who is now my ex-wife. And I said, I want you at the end of every session, tell me like what you thought about it, like me as a coach. And I was awful. I was awful. Part of that is I was coaching my mom and my wife at the time, right? And yeah, not yeah. a good idea. Not a um, good idea. Um, but what I realized was I knew what I knew, but I, what I was saying, they weren't understanding and I was getting mad at them for not doing it how I wanted it. But in my head, I know what I'm saying and they don't. Mm-hmm. And one of them said to me, it's not what you know, it's how I take it. And that was like the biggest light bulb ever as a coach. And if anybody follows me on Instagram and watches my videos when I'm coaching guys, like I, I will say the most ridiculous things ever to get them to understand what I want and not forget it. Right. You know, like, like I want them to engage their glutes or whatever, simply like there's a hundred dollar bill in your butt cheeks, squeeze that bill. Yep. And then they're like, Oh, I'm there. I didn't. Okay. Those are my glutes. You know, like just stupid things like yeah. that. But like me being like, okay, get into a neutral spine, tuck your pelvis. And they're like, my mom's like, why are you talking about neutral spine? Yep. You know? So, so like me learning that was probably one of the biggest things that, that ever, ever helped my career. It's not what you know. It's how your client takes it. Correct. Dude, put that on a shirt. I know. And I'll, I'll put that on a bumper sticker because that, dude, that's the ethos of anything that works. It's right. no one cares about the coach. It's about the athlete that's in front of you. And if you can't relay all that beautiful information that's in your head, you're a goddamn waste. And you're wasting their time. You're wasting your time. Put the smartest coach in the room with half a team and me, not, not the like, I mean, like book smart, like, uh, and then me in there, I'll get better results every single time through connection. Obviously, like I know what I'm talking about, but there's people obviously way, 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 way smarter than me. But it, it's what can I get the athlete to do? Can I get them to understand why they should be giving a hundred in this moment or why they should need to be, be focusing on their breathing? And if I can't get them to understand that and then do it, they're getting maybe seven out of 10 of, a, of an exercise. Mm-hmm. So you can know, you can know everything and you can use all the big words you want, but if your client's not doing it at, at, you know, a hundred percent of their ability, you know, you're, you're only getting whatever percentage out of them that they're doing. You're not facilitating that extra percentage to help them understand how, what, when, why, where, all of those things. And that's the most important thing. Mike Boyle says it all the time. Like if you're a guy who's using every anatomical word in the world in the gym to make yourself sound smart for your clients, or just because that's how you talk, you're not a good coach because nobody knows those words, but us, you yep. know? So like, what? don't use those words. They don't know those words. They're yep. paying you to help them. Right. You know? So, and that, and that's what it's about. You mentioned Boyle outside of your boy, Paul Goodman, who else kind of shows that to you or where, what's a great resource to dive into where I can see that and learn that. Um, 
I mean, Cal Dietz is awesome. Like he's, he's awesome. He's a savage. He ran a, a RPR thing at my gym a few months ago, and I, I was already certified in RPR, but to like meet him and hang out with him for a while and the night before and just see how he operates was pretty cool. Um, but b- for me, Boyle's, Boyle was my biggest influence, still is. Like, Not only has training philosophies changed my hockey career as a pro when I started like thinking the way more like he does and trains like he does versus like, you know, bilateral all the time, back Mm -hmm. squat, deadlift, barbell bench press. Like when I got away from that, I became such a better athlete and hockey player was insane. Hmm. I'm not saying never use an exercise. Every exercise has an application that you can find, but I think there's always better selections for the time, for the athlete, for their body type, for their sport, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so, um, but Boyle has really been the biggest influence on, on my philosophies, how I coach the exercise selection. He started my brain down thinking a different way and it changed my hockey career immediately. And, I would hope and I would say probably the hockey careers of of a lot of hockey players that I've worked with over the years too. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, a guy named Kelly Starrett is a guy who did that for me. Uh-huh. I mean, he's a, he's a PT. He, he made his name in the CrossFit world, but his, similar to you, like his passion, his ability to explain, his, his ability to get his information across um, is second to none. He's the reason I'm still a PT. Um, so that, that definitely lands for me. And man, like Boyle's... Boyle's breakdown of a Bulgarian. Yeah. It's like magic. It's magic, you know, and um, there's such gold. There's such gold there. So it sounds like you've, you've kind of spoken to it a little bit, but if you walk into a gym um, outside of what you just mentioned, which is getting your point ideas and then movement across to your client or your athlete, how do you identify an elite strength coach? Uh, Can they, can they get the athletes to do what they're, they want to do. That's all I care about. I, I was just on a call with a, a former NHL strength coach, assistant strength coach, and, and was like literally basically saying that, like, I've told people the dumbest stories, the dumbest anecdotes, the, the, the dumbest, I'll draw the stupidest visual. I don't care. I need you to understand what I'm trying to get you to do. However, I have to do that. I will do it. If you, We'll do it in the way that I want, at the intensity that I want, like whatever the goal is. Like if I can get you to do what I'm thinking, then my program that I'm running as the coach is going to be ran at 100% versus if the buy-in is 90, Mm -hmm. you know, now the athletes are only getting 90% out of my program or less or less. And so for me, do the pro, do the clients buy into the program? Because obviously I believe in the way that I do things. I'm sure every successful coach has that same thought process, but I also am not naive. And I do believe there's, there's a million ways to skin the cat. You, you can get great results doing a whole bunch of different training methodologies. It's just going to be, you know, in those percentages of, of, you know, what maybe could have worked better, but at the same time, if the athletes bought in and they enjoy being there, I think a lot of coaches don't understand the psychology of training, maybe because, I don't think you need to be a, haven't been a high level athlete to understand this, but like buy-in is literally everything and wanting to be in the gym training is everything. Hockey off season can be anywhere from three to six or seven months for little younger players. Right. Yeah. 
So like, I got to want them to want to be in there because if they don't, they're getting nothing out of the session. It's a waste of energy, a waste of time. And they're creating bad movement patterns and mechanics that they're just going to go back into over and over because repetition will, will do that to them. So like for me, do they buy into the coach and what he's doing? Obviously yeah. the coach has to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Now you mentioned that a little bit, your strength facility has really developed a reputation for outstanding culture. Um, and it's really centered around giving a hundred percent that that's from both coaches as, as well as the athlete. How the hell did you create a culture like that? Um, it's my personality, honestly, <laughs> like uh, all my guys know everything about me. Like I, t I don't, I, t I tell to them how it is. And, and like, luckily there's a whole lot of evidence to back it up. You know, you can, you can see what my career was on elite prospects and then you can see me skate. And then when I tell you, look, all you guys in this room have more skill than I do. All of you, all of you watch my, watch me, you know, look me up on YouTube or watch me skate out there when I go out with you guys. So they can see that. Yep. And then I'm like, and then look at my stats. Look where I played. I got paid to play for 10 years. It wasn't because I was naturally gifted. It's because everything we're doing in here, I did it 100% consistently every single day from 17 years old until I retired at 32. And I promise you that if you do things with 100% intensity, like I'm asking you, you will be a much better hockey player by the end of the summer, not even taking hockey stuff into consideration. How your body moves, how it functions, your speed, power, your ability to resist injuries because you're in better shape, all of these things. And I just look them all in the eye and tell them that. And then I also say... And there's a waiting list of over a hundred athletes. So I've only cut two people in 16 years now, but if you don't show up and give me that you're out of here because yeah. I only want to work with players who really want to reach the next level in their career. And that's whatever it means to them, whether that's a to double a double a to triple a triple a to juniors, juniors or college, college or pro. I don't care what the jump is you're trying to do in your career. Give me a hundred or else you don't train here. And, yeah. and, and that, that's just how it is. And luckily the guys hold each other accountable in the gym too, but that's also something I foster and I coach, you know, you're not always going to feel your best in here. If you see a guy who's down, you better pick him up. You better grab him because you're going to come in here down one day. Or if you're an older guy, maybe you went out and you're hung over in here. Mm -hmm. I need the other guys to pick your ass up and push you on those days. So it's your job to do it on the days you see them dragging or, you know, stuff like that. Dude, makes me want to put my skates on. <laughs> um, that, that's that's freaking good stuff. What was your weakest point as an athlete? What were what uh, were your deficits? Yeah, um, vision, vi vision. Yeah. Uh, um, How about physically? I mean, like, I think you're you're talking about like ice vision, right? But but physically, what were but you? Way, but, so that's but that's something that that I. It's another reason I think that I excel is that a lot of coaches in the gym strength coaches performance coaches they only focus on lifting weights jumping and speed yep. but like if you're playing a sport like like a, a hockey football lacks like an actual sport not track and field you don't do just that you, you have to perform skilled movements and so i incorporate vestibular work eyes into training depth perception understanding space and time in our 
agility or our plyos or whatever. So like that is a massive part of it that can be trained and isn't, which is why I, I have had the success I have because it's something that I focus on because I didn't have that. I got my bad concussion. My vestibular system was mangled. I had to do vestibular system, uh, vestibular rehab three days a week at Mass General Hospital in Boston for like six months. And then when I got healthy and I came back, I kept doing those things and realized, oh my God, like now that I'm healthy-ish, these are making me better on the ice. I'm noticing more in my peripheral vision. I'm not off balance when I have to move my head as I'm skating down the ice. So I kind of dug into that and I kept doing more and kept creating more drills and started bringing in more coordination things because dexterity and fine motor control at elite sports at that level is massive. Yeah, it's everything. Like if yeah. you get 1% better at your fine motor control and you're playing in the MLB, you might make millions of dollars more, yeah. you know, and, and hit more or whatever, you know what I mean? So for me, like vision, was it, um, I, as a kid, I was weak, dude. I got like, if you look at my muscles compared to my bone structure, like I am supposed to be, I'm 222 right now. I'm supposed to be like 155. If I don't work out for like a week, I'm like, I'm no. like gone. I, I turned sideways and I disappear. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was naturally weak. Like I had to work. I worked out six days a week, every single week for 16 years. That's you a know, lot. I stretched, I stretched every, you know, in season, it would be a little bit, maybe it was four, but like whatever I was going to do in season would be in season out of season, six days a week, every week. Uh, I stretched every single night from seventh grade until I retired at 32, every single night every single night most of the time for 30 minutes mobility and stretching um like it again i wasn't very good i it was because of everything i did off the ice which is why i'm so passionate that i know that the more better you get there it's gonna help you over there and so like why wouldn't you do that like how yeah. much do you care you know yeah. yeah um okay so let's get nitty-gritty a little clinical here you're teaching um box jumps or you're doing some hurdle work and you want to include some of that vestibular system you mentioned, right? Yep. Where do you start with that? Um, I wouldn't necessarily do it on like a box jump, but like if I was, dude, I mean, a simple thing is like, like I want you to turn your head to the opposite way you're jumping. Like as you jump, like I want you to look left or as you land, I want you to look left because you're going to lose sight of the ground. You're going to lose where you are in space and time. And that happens a lot in sports, but if you can get used to the movements and how you're feeling and like, maybe you're looking this way, but you're getting better and better at seeing your peripheral down here and learning how to do that while you're moving Yeah. the repetition then. And then I tell them, okay, now like, I want you doing that same stuff on the ice, yep. same stuff on the ice, like bring that into because hockey and I'm sure football with like all the blocks and, and, and things coming from not right in front of you like the the better you are at scanning mapping knowing where people are then you if you can practice like it, it through repetition like understanding okay like that's what five feet looks like and within five feet i know i can do this mm -hmm. but i can't do that that is massive yeah. when you're playing a game where you have to create have skilled movements while avoid being hit sure you, you know so yeah Oh, I've, I've seen that like um, I've seen that with my offensive linemen where I'm working with dudes who are 330 pounds and yes, they're, they're, they're massive and their strength and their power output is off the charts, but their balance and stability is 
elite. I mean, right. you know, better than the 180 pounders out there. And and that's incredible. So I love that you are training that and you're bringing that to the ice. Just take that um, example where you gave me a rotation away from their landing spot. How do you continue to progress that once they nail that? It, it would just depend on like what, what the skill is and how I'm working on it. But like, I, I, I start with simple stuff, standing still, you know, I had head still eye moving, you know, then progress to, you know, wider field of vision. And then maybe something's moving and they have to track it and then moving while your head is on a fixed object, but you're, moving, but, you're but your head is moving as your body is going in a straight line. So like trying to bring all of those in and then in, in every drill, it's just progressing on those, you know, okay, now we're going to make it a one-on-one -on -one drill where like, you know, uh, um, let's say like, for instance, instead of doing just, uh, say you're going to do a shuttle and it's going to be a change of direction shuttle. Let's say you got starting line cone at five yards, cone at 10 yards. Okay. A lot of people, if they were going to do a forward backward variation, they would just run up to the cone, stop back, pedal back, run to the next cone, back pedal back, finish with the sprint. Okay. That's great. And there is a time for that, but at a certain level, you're fast enough. Like your sport isn't track. Like, so I have them line up next to each other, two by two, you know, two guys at a time and your head is forward, but you've got to keep that guy in your peripheral vision the whole time. I want your head forward, but I want you to be able to see that guy while you're moving. Everyone, when they start doing this immediately slows down by like at least 50%. It's hard, you know, mm -hmm. on the ice, you are doing that the entire game, the entire yeah. game as you're moving, you're mapping, you're seeing where are guys, you're turning your head. Right. And then I'll do one where it's reactionary to progress that. Okay. Now you're going to go on the whistle. You have 15 seconds. You can move forward and backward as within this 20 yard span or 15 yard span as much as you want, however you want, but you can only go forward backward, but the guy next to you is going to try to be your shadow and he can only look forward and can't, can't, he's got to use his peripheral vision. And then I make them switch sides. So they're working both sides of their peripheral vision. Right. And, and a lot of drills like that, you know, like just trying to find a way to bring your eyes into your movements. The, yeah. For, for those of you who are, who are just listening at home and, and not seeing me grinning like a dumbass, the reason I'm grinning like that is because you're, you're describing concussion rehab, right? Like, and, yep. and it just sounds like you have married this concussion cognitive neuro world into the performance space. I think that is such a game changer and such a separator and applicable to, to every sport. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I said, man, it's, it, once I started doing that and I made that part of my part of my training, everything got better for me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I started awesome. doing, I started doing it with other guys and it got better for them. And I was just like, okay, we're on to something here, we're you know, and we just kept doing it. Yeah, that that's that's really cool. And it and it takes a lot of coaching, right? Because you gotta you gotta these guys have never done this before. So you have to tell them and explain to them and they have to understand what's a good rep, what's a bad rep, how do I improve on it, etc. We have an outstanding therapist that works with us named uh, Dr. Christy Chiesa. She did her residency, I believe, up at Mass General. She's a concussion specialist. She she incorporates all of this stuff into a rehab now now it's making like a lot of sense you know it, it sounds like that that can get very very sports specific so that, that makes a lot of sense to me when when you were overcoming your billions of concussions who were you working with like what what profession and, and what really helped you i was working with a vestibular 
a rehab therapist. Uh, I was working with a neurologist and I was working with, he was he was a different neurologist. His, his name was Dr. Heechin Che. I just, I just remember his name, not a common name, right? No. And I would go see him for this acupuncture that he, it was like his own version. And, and he was doing it with a couple other Bruins players who were also having concussion problems. And it was wild. He would do a whole bunch of needles in my neck and my skull. Yep. And I had really, really bad whiplash, which exacerbated, masked, took over post-concussion syndrome as well it's not something i found out till way later yep. um which is you know is unfortunate because i think i could have been back way faster mm-hmm. um but he would exhaust twitches is what he called it so he'd put the needle in and when i first i would go to him once or twice a week for i did it for like probably six months and my traps were so like ungodly tight that the first time he ever did it with me he only did one spot and it took like 30 minutes to exhaust the twitch and the first 20 times my shoulders are jumping off the table and it was almost painful and he's like we're gonna go until it won't twitch anymore so like i wasn't working out but i would leave there and i would be so sore and it was only one spot Mm-hmm. You know, and then go back the next time he'd hit another spot and then he started to do multiple spots because he started to relax at least a little bit. Um, and then all the spots in my head, too, which, you know, now I know, like if I have a headache or something like I kind of push on these certain spots and they give me relief. And like he yeah. taught me that with all these like needles and stuff. And and so, you know, that's that was pretty interesting and cool um, Worked with trainers. But what really turned my my recovery around uh i went to university of pittsburgh medical clinic and i saw mickey collins okay um and they were like okay we're gonna put you on this medicine or i was already on it and they were like we're gonna up your dose um which helped because they they found a, a correlation between vestibular you know rehab and and this medicines okay so they did that um they told me something so simple when i was trying to come back whether i was walking or riding a bike like don't look around when you when you walk or when you ride the bike at the rink when you're trying to come back do it when no one else is in the gym don't look at other guys don't talk i want you to put the bike right in front of a white wall with nothing on it and just look at that because up to that point i would ride the bike for 30 seconds and i the the world was spinning and i was upside down and pukey and whatever but i was also in there facing the middle of the room with a bunch of guys working out and Mm -hmm. i'm trying to be in there with the guys and and so i started doing that okay that was better then they had me do a bunch of stuff for my neck oh that got me better um they said you know you don't have to just try and come back with riding the bike which was like the only protocol for pro hockey college hockey junior hockey for probably like 10 years ride the bike for 10 minutes with the heart rate at 125 if you do it the next day bump it up to whatever 150 and if you do it two days in a row and you're good then you can skate but if you fail on either of those days you got to take two to four days off and then just retry it so that's all i was doing for like six months i go to mickey and he's like you know tells me those things about the head straight and, and the neck and and then he was like, you know, you could try lifting weights because you can manipulate your heart rate better. And I was like, dude, <laughs> where's this been? been doing that the yeah. whole time? Because yep. like, like I told you in the beginning of this thing, my only two passions in life, really now entrepreneurship is one of them, but are, are were hockey and training and I could do neither. So yep. that was super hard. But so like I started, I remember I was bench pressing the bar 
like super slow, mm-hmm. super slow, 10 reps. And then I'd have to sit there for, you know, in the beginning, some days it might've been five minutes, get my heart rate completely back down, slowly lower myself. Try again. Yeah. Try again. Keep, you know, heart rate monitor on, sit there for five minutes. Okay. Let's go do a lap pull down. Like one plate on, you know, and, but, but it was progress. It yep. went from doing nothing to that. And literally over like two and a half months, I went from the bar and one plate and five pound dumbbells to like 80% back. Yep. Like I, it just kind of went like this after I saw Mickey. And that's when I was able to get back on the ice. I didn't play that first year, but I got to practice one time in a real practice at the last practice of the year which gave me confidence. And then I went into full speed training uh, for the off season. And I went and won testing uh, with the Bruins the next year. Hell yeah. So the, I mean, it, it sucks. It kind of, it's kind of disheartening, but I hear this story all the time. And, and a lot of times it's with concussion. You know, we have a number of concussion specialists within our practice, but, but dude, this happens with patellar tendonitis as an example, like where I'll get athletes coming in. It's like, I've tried everything. Okay. What have you tried? Well, uh, you know, I've been to PT for the last six months. It's no better. What have you done? Uh, I've been on the bike. I've, uh, I've stretched my quad. I'm like, okay, it's all about how do you acclimate to the stressor, right? And, and so it's easy with patellar tendons, like to load up the tendons properly or Achilles tendons. It's harder with the brain because we, we don't see it, right? And, and we don't know how much we're loading it, but that's what you're describing. You're loading your vestibular system in what you were just describing. Even with what, what we call dry needling, which what, what you were calling acupuncture, it's like, can you identify those muscles that we know they're attached to your eyes? Like if you dig your hands on your superior obliquus capitis at the base of your neck and flutter your eyes back and forth, you'll feel that muscle twitch, right? So mm-hmm. how do we reverse engineer that and say, let's deal with that muscle and see if that if that calms it down. There's so many ways to do it. By the way, it sounds like what you were saying before, which there are a million ways to skin a cat. There are a million ways to rehab, fill in the blank, definitely concussion. You got to know where your athlete is and what what are their deficits and how do you attack them like a sniper instead of just trying everything. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and the biggest thing with concussions too, and this is something I tell everyone, like never go to your MD if you have yeah. a concussion, yeah. as, as long as it's not an extremely, extremely, extremely minor one where it's sure. like barely one. But if you have a concussion, get to a concussion specialist. Yep. It, it, it It's night and day what you're going to get, you know, like nobody. And I was, you know, I was in the NHL. Nobody the talked to me about what I was eating. Yep. And so me as like the guy who wins testing and like, that's who I am and my identity. And that gets me the chance to be at the higher level. You know, I'm like, well, I haven't worked out in three and a half months, even though I can't, like, I can't be eating poorly. I don't even want to overeat because I want to be ready to come back. I don't want my, I don't want them to test my body fat and I'm at 20, you know, whereas before this, I was at six or seven, which now too low knowing what I know now, but that's kind of where it was. And so like, nobody talked to me about nutrition. My sleep was God awful. I should have seen a psychologist. They did offer to, to have, and I'm not blaming the Bruins. Like this was just, this was just concussion. That's where it was protocol. Yep. It was just so archaic. Luckily, like that year and the year before and the year after, like two or three of the biggest stars in the NHL got bad concussions. And so everybody started putting money into concussion protocol research. Mm-hmm. 
you know, all this stuff. So it's so much better now. So I'm, I'm happy now for the guys who have to go through this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the NFL had a lot to do with that also, right? Like right. Um, they're just worried about their, their dollars and cents and that yeah. that's, that's a massive issue, but, but you make a good point with um, these pro athletes, how they need to find a team outside of the organization to help them get better. Everyone you just mentioned, yes, mass general, yes, UPMC, they're not necessarily in-house. Right. You know, we've had a lot of success with that um, of guys finding us on the outside. And we are almost as passionate as you are about what we do. And so it, you got to be working with people that are dying to learn what's next and what is the best out there. You don't always find that in the locker room. Um, how do you feel about NHL from a strength and conditioning perspective? Um, ha have they Are they at the bleeding edge? Uh, I think more and more people are, are yes, in that sport, but hockey is so dynamic. Like every other sport for the most part is played on the ground yeah. and you train on the ground. Yep. You, you run in the ball in football or you run in track. It's the same way you run in the gym when you're practicing sprints, but the way that you sprint in the gym is not how you skate. It's completely different mechanical motions. Mm -hmm. The, the, like, so and hockey is so demanding. You have to be very good at a bunch of things. You have to have speed. You have to have power. You have to have balance. You have to have agility. You have to have vision. Yep. Like you have to. You have to understand depth perception and space and time and how to manipulate those things. And that's where I was going back to saying, like, the reason that I've had so much success and trained so many players that trust me is because we're working on all those things. I'm not just making your muscles bigger. I'm doing that. But also all these other things, you know yeah. what I mean? And, 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 um, it's funny because I was a meathead when I was younger, you know, like all I did was lift. I just loved lifting, just lift, yeah. lift, 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 yeah. you know? And, and, but then I realized like, oh, well, if I lift, you know, a unilateral dumbbell bench press more often than a barbell bench press, that makes me better at hockey. The barbell bench press is negligible, yep. but, but because you know, that you're, nothing like that in hockey like at least you know you're having to resist rotation you're working both adductors your glutes your back your core you're literally working everything while you're doing the exact same pressing motion yeah you know and so it's just like just like very simplistically that makes way more sense you know than than those old school ways now i think way more hockey trainers are getting into that hockey players have gotten smaller because training has gotten smarter Mm -hmm. When I was playing, guys like were training like football players, and they moved like football players. Well, now there's skilled guys can be smaller, and they're making it, and so they're faster, so they're pushing the pace. So now you know you don't need to be six two two forty; you need to be six two two fifteen. Yeah, you got to be, you know, yeah, right, and and agile. You got to be able to keep up with that little water bug who's skilled as hell and can stop and start on a dime and all those things. You know, because if you can't catch him, you can't hit him. Doesn't matter how big you are. Yep. You yep. know, so I wouldn't say hockey's behind, but like younger hockey still is. Yeah. In my, yeah. In my opinion. What's the best way to train that skate form in the gym? Oh, uh, again, it's so like different than anything you really so, do. I mean, what you like do. Yeah. What do you do? Slot slide boards are great, yep. like for something that's similar. Um, you know, we do lots of like 45 degree reverse lunge, reverse lunge, forward lunge, lateral lunge. I mean, rear foot elevated split squats. Hockey is played on one foot at a time. Like you skate one leg at a time. You shoot 
for the most part on one leg, especially at the higher levels. You know, you're getting hit while you're changing your stride. So it's not like you're stuck in the mud like a back squat. And again, well, I hate back squats. I don't have anybody back squat, never have, never will. Um, but but if you're training more unilateral in nature, your body just gets used to being one foot, one foot, one foot. And I'm not saying I don't train bilaterally ever. We do. But I'd say my off-season programming is probably 70-30 unilateral to bilateral maybe. You know, you sound, you sound like Boyle. Right, right. But, <laughs> but in season, though, I do flip that. In season, I flip that to being way more bilateral than unilateral because I want it to be easier on their system. Um, I don't want their adductors super sore. When you're doing anything unilateral, you're going to be using your adductors more, and we use those a crap ton in hockey. Yep. Um, and I want them to be get in, be able to get in and out of the gym faster. In season, all I focus on is strength, mobility, prehab. Strength, prehab, mobility. Yep. That's it. They're getting – and Boyle said this on my podcast, fill up the empty buckets. Yep. And I've, I've – quoted him forever since that it was probably five years ago in season i want to fill up the empty buckets out of season same idea but now they're not skating they're not getting all the unilateral work they're not getting all that stuff so we work on that type of stuff in the gym that, that's really smart like the way you look at periodizing that and the way you look at attacking that which they're not overusing to avoid the overuse stuff um you mentioned skating one leg at a time um one skate at a time what's the best way to mimic and enhance shot velocity in the gym oh man that's so hard that's such a tough question actually because it's thank it's, you it, <laughs> shooting is again and shooting and skating are very similar and that technique is everything you can see like one of the best players in the nhl right now jack hughes he's this big mm -hmm. he's this big but his stride but efficiency is unparalleled his balance on his skates is unbelievable as he's making all these moves right so like you don't need to be a monster you need to be strong obviously and resilient and all these things but technique is so much of hockey in the way that you shoot because there's so much technology in the skates and the stick sticks like are not like when we grew up like like uh, you know, I just became uh, a partner with Bauer, the biggest ho uh, uh, company in hockey, which is like a dream of mine. And I was just out at their their headquarters in um, New Hampshire like two weeks ago, and I'm holding all the new sticks. And, you know, they're all telling me like when I played, I used like 105 flex and now guys are using like 75. It's like a noodle, yep. but it's because they don't have to put as much energy into it yeah. because they're using the technology of the stick, how it should be to their advantage. So there is a lot of technique with it. But, um, you know, we, we were, you know, a lot of carries for the grip and forearm. Uh, we do some kind of loaded carry two to four days a week, all summer long, every, almost every day we're doing some kind of loaded carry, whether that's single hand, both hands, waiters, carry overhead. I don't care what it is. We're going to do some kind of carry a lot of forearm stuff. Um, we use fat grips. Um, we, we, you know, strengthen, you know, oblique slings and how you're going to move when you shoot and things like that. Um, acceleration, deceleration from the lower body, because you kind of like, you don't jump into a shot, but you kind of like explode into it and push down on the stick. So it pops off. Um, so a lot, you know, my philosophy is 90, 90% of training across most sports is probably pretty similar. It's yeah. like that last 10% and then like the individualized portion within that 10% for what your role is 
in the sport. Yeah, like position-specific. Th- um, th- that makes me think of – I just had an athlete come in with a UCL strain. He's a pitcher. And so I was working with one of the therapists who's primarily working with him, and he was doing carries. He sounded like exactly what you were doing. I said, well, why don't we grab in- – instead of doing a dumbbell carry, why don't we grab – two plates, split that weight in half and have them pinch it, right? Because now we're getting all the way down to your pincer grip um, and we're getting all the way down to the little muscles that are controlling that flick as that curveball comes off the fingers. Make him own that control that in the gym. So that's what you're talking about. That's that last 10% of how do we get position specific? How do we get sport and then position? So I'm sure that that carries over to to kind of what you guys do. How How about... How about a goalie? How do you get goalie specific? Um, we just really work on like, you know, people like hate on like buzzword terms online in like the training community. (laughs) But when you go back to realizing what, obviously there's idiots out there don't know what they're doing and saying stupid things. But again, we go back to what we talked about in the beginning, especially with Boyle, like not dumbing it down, but making it digestible for the people who aren't us who are obsessed with training and the body and all those things so like for me like we try to bulletproof their ankles knees and hips you know as best we can we're going to work on a whole bunch of stuff to load them in positions maybe they're in um work on their tendon strength a lot of ankle work a lot of hip work a lot of t-spine rotation work um a lot of what i call a quiet upper body while their lower body is moving so like when players are doing plyos when you skate you're kind of throwing your arms to help facilitate better movement more efficient but also like it kind of throws you forward and helps you a little bit sure with a goalie if they're sliding across the net and they're opening up their arms well now they just opened up holes to get scored on mm-hmm. so when i do plyos with them or lat like a lateral skater jump with the players i'll let them throw their arms you know if that's what that day calls for goalies are holding whatever they're every goalie has a different hand position they're in their stance and they're doing the lateral skater jump and I'm screaming at them. Don't move that glove. Don't move that glove or whatever. Don't your blocker moved. I just buried on you. I just buried. You just lost a game. I went post. Don't you move that blocker as they're jumping, you know, and I want them to get very comfortable with that quiet upper body. Cause that's what they do the whole game. That's awesome. So, you know, with goalies, I care and goalies, like I care way less about strength like obviously i want them strong when everybody's strong but like i care more about completely owning their their movement yeah i want them to i don't like i want you to own your movement because they are so they have to be precise because if they're moving and a limb moves you're opening up a hole where the puck's going every time yeah yeah we call that end range resiliency like when we're talking about being all the way outstretched um so i think that makes sense i I um I recently had a guy named Morgan Cox on, on the pod. He's a long snapper for the Titans. This is like year 14. You talk about movement specificity. Dude does one thing, but it's exactly like you said. His T-spine, his spine needs to be dead quiet while his arms are rapidly accelerating through his zone. That That doesn't show up in a lot of sports. Right. Um, and so how do you get specific with, okay, yeah, the guy's coming in for golfer's elbow. But how do you force him to own his T-spine maneuver so and then load his, his wrist flexors to overcome the pathology? I think that's where strength and conditioning meets physical therapy, sports physical therapy. And that's what makes a great sports PT. So you, you hinted at it a little bit. Tell me, what is the number one thing that hockey strength coaches screw up? Uh, wow. Well. 
at the higher levels or like looking at hockey in general? Hockey in general. I mean, they train them to be good in the weight room or football. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I love training. My, like the people who don't, pe- people who want to chirp like the way I do things. And it's because of what I put on Instagram. Well, I can't show everything we do every day, especially because I put more volume on my guys than anyone I know. I can't show everything. Like, if yeah. hate, it's ridiculous. Um, not afraid to, it's just I can't, right? And so I show stuff on my on my social media for players who are at home that they could do something at home or it's like, well, I know in your gym, you're only lifting. So I'm going to show you everything that you're not doing that maybe you could watch and try and see how impactful it is. So like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I do things during the off season to show what we're doing. Um, um, but they, they, uh, when I was younger, I was lifting to be better at lifting. Yep. Even though I had a great strength coach, you know, and, and some of the stuff we did, obviously there's trans there's translation from GPP, obviously, right. Certain point that stops. Um, I think, um, but what I was doing was leaving so much on the table and I, but, and I was winning testing everywhere I went, you know, for, you know, especially body weight to strength ratio was off the charts for a hockey player, but it stayed in the freaking gym. I'd go on the ice. I wasn't nearly the strongest guy. Didn't on the translate, ice. Yeah. I'd fall over. I'd, I'd go to hit a guy and I'd fall over. I, my balance was always off. I'd go to hit guys and I'm falling and they're not, even though I'm 10 times stronger than that guy. So I was like, why, why? <laughs> and actually I went to uh, Washington capitals dev camp after my f- freshman or sophomore year in college. And uh, Jack Blatherwick, who was the strength coach for 1980s Olympic team. Um, it's not a bad resume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people call him like the the godfather of hockey training. He's wrote books and stuff. And I didn't know who he was till I got there, looked him up, and was like, oh, my God, I picked his brain the whole week. He said something to me that also changed everything for me. Um, he said, if you're doing all of your – if all of your training can be done in a phone booth, you're not training to be a hockey player. And I was like, okay, my program at college is squat, <laughs> bench, deadlift, pull-ups. In, a, in dips, a phone booth. <laughs> all of it. All of it in a phone booth. I could probably do all of those at the same time in like three phone booths put together, just not moving at all. And I was like, wow. And at that camp, the first day we had testing, and I was probably like 190 at the time, and I think I benched 275 bar to chest seven times. Um I had the second highest bench. There was a guy who was a meat. He was like probably 220 and he benched like 280, like five times or something. Right. Barely beat me. He was also older. Uh, I'm still pissed off. I lost. I, I see that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so I went and then after me, Nicholas Backstrom goes, he was just drafted fifth overall that year. He had all this hype on him. The media was just all over him the whole time. He could not bench press 135 once. I love it. I've told the story a million times and I watched that. I want and I went fifth overall pick going to be in the NHL this year. I think he actually after that next season, that season his first year, I I want to say he won rookie of the year in the NHL or he was at least very close. For sure got over 1000 points in the NHL. This guy can't bench press my warm up weight. What is he doing that I'm not and what Everything. am I doing that I don't need to do that he's not doing where he can't bench press the warm up weight? Everything. Right? <laughs> and then Blatherwick says that to me in the room and I'm like, "Okay." And then I sign in the NHL the next year and at the airport I bought Boyle's book 
or online and I read it cover to cover in a day and a half. And I immediately was like, this makes more sense. This is the gap. Like me just doing all this stuff in a phone booth. I'm going to start doing this. I did it that summer. Well, you know, when I was healthy and bam, unbelievable. And I still won testing and I didn't use a barbell for bench or back squat or deadlift one time ever again. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that sounds like, I think Kevin Durant, like couldn't get 125 up, um, you know, in his combine testing, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't freaking matter. I have this conversation with the NFL guys. Like there's a bar you got to pass. Like there's a, you know, like a, just, just a marker you have to do. But once right. you get over that, like spend time on your sport, on your skill, um, dude, th- that's a, that's a ton of outstanding information. I just, I love the way you look at the game. I love the way you look at strength. Everything kind of makes sense as to why you're so goddamn successful. So <laughs> good on, good on you, Vex. Here we go. Lightning round. You ready? The Eric Cressy lightning round. Let's get it. I know you're a big fan of sayings, coach. What's your favorite saying? Get more, be more, baby. <laughs> if it's not get more, be more, what is it? Um, Life gives to the giver. Oh, that's freaking good. Life yeah. gives to the giver. And what does that mean to you? The more you give, the, the more will come your way. I believe in karma. Um, when I was younger and I first started like in my room doing push-ups at night when I was young and I was a little weakling, I ripped out from a magazine a military ad that said life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. And I taped it to the back of my door. My mom was pissed because it <laughs> ripped. She's like, it's going to rip off the paint. And I was like, I need to see this. So I do my push-ups. Um, I've always been like, I need sayings around. It helps me, right? Um, and I started to live that way and, and you know, give more, be more in my clothing brand. And it's in my gym and everything. Like that kind of came as a spinoff of Life Gives to the Giver. I, I stopped saying that, that saying because I don't believe in negative words. I think words have a lot more power in your own head than anyone realizes with your own self-talk. So I think and takes from the taker leaves it open to put it out there that, well, if, if I ever do the wrong thing, it's going to screw me, you know? And yeah, obviously I believe that, but like, I just want to leave it on a note in my head that makes sense to go forward, never leave anything to go back. Um, and that's where I kind of translated over to give more, be more. Well, you, you talk, you talk about giving with that answer. And before we started recording, you were talking about some of the programming that you're putting together to make all of this awesome information accessible on give more, be more or gmbm.com. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, man. I'm really excited because it's taken me a year. <laughs> I am, uh, I am not technologically savvy, which is hilarious because I have a pretty large online training platform now. Yeah. Uh, I actually just signed up my 21st team or organization for this season right now. So that's pretty cool. Congrats. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a grind and it's really, really rewarding. And, um, what I'm trying to do with that is make great training, extremely affordable to people who can't afford a coach in person, right? You can still have great training. Obviously the best option is a very good coach. Most people can't afford that. Most teams can't afford that. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do online. And, and with my website, I'm just trying to, you know, put out as much free information as I can. I'll have a blog on there. I'll probably have a vlog on there sometimes. Another thing too, man, when you're a pro athlete, you get everything for free. Yep. Like, it's just part of the gig. It's awesome, right? And then you stop playing pro, 
And if you're not a huge name, nobody cares. You get nothing for free anymore. Yeah. And so as I kind of grew my, my social media following and my podcast is, is really big and grown and stuff, people want to work with me. Companies want to work with me. And I'm always like, well, I got to get a deal for my clients online in person and my followers and so on my website too it's like all the companies that i work with um where you can get a discount because like i reach out to them sometimes i'm like yo all my guys use lactigo for example i don't know if you ever heard of this yep. dude like unbelievable i i didn't believe it would work i was like no way this works and every single one of my guys that uses it is obsessed with it and is a hundred percent in their head convinced it works that's all i need to hear and so you know that okay you can save money on that or, or gym equipment or whatever so part of it too is like i kind of want to create a community where i can help people through information having fun they can sign up for my online training or when i eventually start doing like courses for coaches you'll be able to sign up there you can reach out to me directly on there and, and then you know whatever that's awesome um and i can't wait for you to add true sports physical therapy to your list of brands let's so, go know, well i mean we'll offer the acl course that we just launched at a discount we will Hell yeah free online assessments if they mention vex i can't love wait. it i can't wait for that dude love um, it bro Okay, that is awesome. And it sounds like an awesome mission. By the time this thing airs, gmbm.com is going to be live. So I'm excited for all these sports PTs to figure out what a good hockey strength coach is. Okay, next lightning round question. Ready? What's the book that has impacted you the most? The Secret. The or, or RSF, Relentless Solutions Focus. Love it. Um, okay, if you could have, if you could grab a beer and let's say and train one current professional athlete, who is that? Oh man, that you're not currently training. That I'm not okay. Uh, I was gonna say one of my guys. Yeah. Um, honestly, I would go with a guy who's not an athlete anymore. I would go with Joe Rogan because, uh, well, I mean, the conversations with the people that he's had conversations with are like the smartest, best outside the box, inside the box, every possible thing that you could ever like want to talk about or learn like he's had people on that have done that and i think that he's so open-minded and looks at things from a zoomed out lens where he can kind of take in things without having a lot of bias uh um, and i think it would just be very cool to hear about all the great people he's met and the conversations he's had yeah he is so good at it he is such a good listener it's yep. crazy yeah yeah he's phenomenal he's phenomenal it, it boggles my mind that I mentioned, you know, I'll be talking to an athlete that I'm working with. I'm like, oh, did you listen to Rogan? They're like, no, I hate that guy. I'm like, how is that possible? Like, like he, he's so incredible. I've, I've learned a ton from him. That's a good answer. That's yeah, a really it. good the, answer. Max. The one I, I used to say when people asked me that, but it was because of his mindset, he doesn't have it anymore. It was Conor McGregor. It, it obviously because he won, it was his, he won because of his mindset. Um, but like, I, I mean, he, I think he's awesome and all that stuff and the way that he did things, he outsmarted the game and like he was calculated and all these things, but his mindset when he was the guy was, I mean, you could see it in his eyes. Like I remember the first time he lost the, the fight was about to start and I was watching, I go, he's going to lose. He's a hundred percent going to lose. He did not have the same look in his eyes leading up to the fight. He was not in the same headspace. You could see it um and it was just like but when he was the guy and he hadn't lost like 
I don't care if they sent a bulldozer in front of him. He would run through the bulldozer. Like, I believe that because he was so dialed and believed in mind, body, everything was all one and it was going there and he will not be stopped. And for me, like mindset is everything. And so that was just like when he was on top, it was like, it was, I've never seen anything like that. You think he just got complacent? I mean, how do you not if you become a 500 millionaire or whatever he had going into the I mean, first yeah. uh, fight but, with what's his look face? At, look at Whit Mayweather. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but he's, he's, it's boxing and MMA are so different. Like, like you can get, you can, boxing is obviously technique is an MMA, but there's so many different ways that you can get caught that, that like, sometimes technique like because there's so many techniques anything can happen but with boxing if you're a technical boxer you're so obviously anything can happen but like Floyd Mayweather is the best technical boxer of all time so like he is so much better than every other guy at not getting hit that like it's easier for him I think than than an MMA fighter to continue to win at that type of pace I'm not taking anything away from him but yeah yeah um I think those are good points okay last one what's one trend you wish would come back in the world or training in the world Jinko jeans. <laughs> Do you Don't remember those? Of course I remember. Unfortunately, <laughs> I remember. Of course I remember wearing them with a chain wallet. So yeah. Yeah, I actually don't want to come back, but I always see memes about Jinko jeans and obviously I wore them. So obviously wore them. Dude, if yeah. if fanny packs could come back, if oh bro, I got a bunch sneakers, of those. Of course you do. Yeah. I, I played in Europe. I, I took my style cues from all the Europeans. I come back, I came back here at first, and guys would be like what are you wearing? And then a few years later, you know, it starts to catch on. But yeah, that's hilarious. Well, and and you played pro hockey in Asia? Yeah, I played. So when I left the U.S., I played Italy, Norway, Austria, Norway, Japan, Japan, Austria. And in Japan, the league was actually the Asian League. It was Japan, uh, Russia, Korea, and China. So we flew everywhere. Like it's the best I was treated in my whole career other than in the NHL. And when I was in camp and preseason and all that stuff, best I've ever been treated. Like it was amazing. There's only three imports allowed on every team. So it's actually pretty hard to get into that league. Um, A lot of guys that were in the league when I was there had NHL games and, and had good careers. And like, that was kind of, you know, towards the end, go there, get paid well, play in a little bit of an easier league, but it was still, it was still like a challenge. The game was way different than anywhere else I've ever played. And what were the fans like? Hilariously quiet. Really? Sit in their seat. Yeah, it's so interesting. And and me, like, I, dude, I like to have fun. And and when I left the U.S., I, one of the things that probably because of my concussions and just the way I was brought up, I was like kind of uh, uh, I was always nervous around authority figures, like with teams, GMs. Not nervous, but like I I I just wanted to like do the right thing all the time and sure. yes sir and shake their hands and stuff like that. And other guys are like, yo, what's up? And like yeah. that, like I wasn't comfortable with that but when i went to europe i was like i'm gonna be myself i'm gonna be comfortable and with the fans i'd always have fun always have fun with the fans because i also realized that without fans there's no leagues yeah and that's something i'm very passionate about players need to treat fans not better but like they need to remind themselves that you're making all this money because they're in the seats and if they're not in the seats you don't have a job you're in the street playing street hockey bro so like 
you know, you're not like better than everybody out there. You know what I mean? So, um, when I would do interviews and stuff, I had a dish that I love there called Ebi Ten Soba. It was like fried shrimp with soba noodles and an egg, and I would eat it every pregame. So I would just in interviews all the time, like on the ice, if you were the MVP of the game, which it was a lot. So, Obviously. Uh, at home, you know, I'd get, get a microphone and I had the translator there to say whatever. And then I would just grab the mic and yell, Ebi Ten Soba. And, the, <laughs> that, and they'd die laughing. You know, it was ridiculous, but it was fun. That sounds like a good time. This has been a blast. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your knowledge. Thank you for your outlook. Um, I think sports PTs just got a lot better at understanding strength and conditioning. So, Vex, I really appreciate you, man. Give us uh, give us your handle. Tell us where we can find you. Um, let us know. Tell us. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity. I love what you guys do. And, and I take a lot from PTs. A lot. Like, you know you can't you can't avoid injuries like they're, they're gonna happen right yep. you can't avoid all of them but you can mitigate maybe the severity by doing the right things and i literally use a lot of pt stuff as my prehab you Same. know like I, all the time like not all the time every day like that yep. is a staple of my training um and i think that's why you know again you can't get all the injuries out of the game or anything like that but i think that's why so many guys that that train with me are are pretty healthy throughout the years right so yeah. i love i love pts i love learning from them so thank you for having me on my instagram handle is just my name at jeff lavecchio the word love c-c-h-i-o and uh my new website drops uh here in the next day or two and it's gmbm.com my, my my podcast for hockey if we got any hockey people out there we've got uh We've got to be at a million and a half downloads now. Hell yeah. I haven't checked, yeah, I haven't checked in a minute, um, but we're probably approaching 1.5 now, and it's called the Hockey Think Tank Podcast. Sick. And, uh, dude, I've spent the last uh, three weeks doing deep dives onto that thing, and it's been awesome. Uh, one of our PTs, Danny Willie, is like, oh, my God, you're having Vex on. Like, <laughs> What's up, Danny? I said, what up? Oh, uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, thanks for being an inspiration. Thanks for being a great interview. Thanks for your time, dude. Absolutely, man. Thanks a lot.